0: All right, I just want to say again how thankful I am to be with you. Uh, this is, you. There's always a great audience in here. I want to tell my dad that I love you and I appreciate you and thank you for pouring yourself into me and I would not be where I am if it weren't for you. James chapter one and the verse is number 12. And the Bible says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You know, we're called to be overcomers. The book of Romans, Paul in chapter 8 says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And whatever pitfalls that we face in life can be defeated. They can be overcome. But the purpose of this lesson tonight is I want us to look at Jesus I want us to look at Jesus and and imitate him as we dare to overcome pitfalls in our life. Pitfalls are just a part of life. Uh, Obstacles come every single day as the devil does his level best to ensnare God's children. Pitfalls are a hidden or unsuspected danger or difficulty, per Oxford's Dictionary. A covered trap or pit is given as an example. I would say that many temptations that we face are just that. They're covered pits of enslavement meant to trap. After all, the devil is not really in the business of wanting the end goal of your soul to be to dibble dabble in sin, but he wants you to be enslaved to sin, and he wants you to serve him, and thus the call from Paul in Romans is to yield your members as servants unto righteousness the poet said temptation comes in many forms they're mostly human though at first temptation gently warms then boils to overflow as humans we are weak as water what strength can we provide when we do not do what we ought to many sighs or side man's conscience warns and gives us pause reflect repent resist Yet even when we know God's laws, temptation will persist. We try at first to turn away. We fight against delight. Yet fewer are they who strive all day and fight with all their might. The righteousness of morning fades and melts beneath the sun. Temptation builds and thus pervades within us, everyone. We swelter in the afternoon, then cool when evening's here. Then comes the madness of the moon when lunatics show fear. In darkness now we sin again, regardless of the cost. When Samson sinned, he joined weak men and more than eyes were lost. Temptation whispers, then it shouts. It beckons and beguiles. It, drifts soft, it drips soft honey on, its, on your lips and tricks you with its smiles. Temptation cares not for your soul. Indeed, it never will. Yet God forgives and makes you whole through Christ on Calvary's hill. I just want to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag this evening and tell you that if we are ever going to overcome pitfalls in our life, we're going to do it by and through Jesus Christ. The Hebrews writer would say in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse one, seeing that we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the sin which so easily besets us and the weight that ensnares us or the sin that ensnares us. And let us run with endurance or patience the race that is set before us, watch it now, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, for consider him. Notice this verse 3. For consider him which endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. We need to look to Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18, for in that he... Suffered in that he was tempted, he is able to succor, he is able to aid, and he is able to help those who are tempted as well. And Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You see, how did Jesus overcome? And what does it look like as we follow in his steps? First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Uh, there's seven things that I want to talk about tonight that maybe we can arm ourselves with to think as we traverse this life. And as we look to Jesus, what is it that Jesus used? to overcome the temptations that he faced. Number one this morning, Jesus did not want to disappoint the father. I think that that's something that we can uh, hopefully arm ourselves with and and, and that we do not want to disappoint the heavenly father. And Jesus certainly did not. Jesus did the hard things. In Luke chapter two and verse 49, he said that I must be about my father's business. And in John 8 and 29, Jesus said he did always those things which please him. And in John 17, 4, in that great high priestly prayer, Jesus said, I have glorified thee and finished the work that thou hast given me. And in Matthew chapter 26, as Jesus goes into that garden and he prays and he falls down on his face and he begins to pray as though his sweat were as as it were great drops of blood. And Jesus said in Matthew 26 and verse 39, but as thou wilt. And in verse 42, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus at all costs wanted to please the Father. And it's those steps that we must follow. We must be about our Father's business. And our Father, he wants us to be evangelistic, soul-minded people. And it was Jesus that said, go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And it was Jesus that said, go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded thee. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And we must always strive to be about those things, striving to please him. You know, Christianity is not a stale nor stagnant religion. We must be doing, we must be going, we must be forward-facing, soldier-like, militant for the master, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. We must concentrate on glorifying God with every word, with every thought, with every action, with every deed. We must concentrate on doing God's will above my will. You need to concentrate on doing God's will and enforcing those decisions upon upon yourself, even when they are hard to do. You know, Jesus did not only want to not displease the Father, but he wanted to please him also. Jesus wanted to please the Father. It, just, it wasn't just about not doing the bad things, but it was also about doing the good things. In John 4 and 34, Jesus said, my meat, my very substance is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. If we're going to please God, we need to be committed to the Father's cause just like Jesus In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the Bible says that he went about and healed all manner of diseases, and he went about doing good. Now, friends, we're not going to go about healing all manner of diseases but we can go about doing good. We can go about doing those things that God requires and expects of us to do, preaching the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And if we do those things, God will be pleased. In Ephesians chapter 2 and 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which the Father before ordained that we should walk in them. We are to be about something. In Titus chapter 2, and I think in verse 7 and 14, and chapter 3 and verse 1 and verse 8, we are to be ready and zealous, and we are to be uh, able to maintain or superintend good works. There are things that we are to be involved in, and evangelism is definitely one of them. And if we do these things, if we involve ourselves in doing the good things that Jesus Christ asked of us to do, we will overcome pitfalls in our lives following the very footsteps of Jesus. Number one, he did not want to disappoint the Father. What is it that Jesus used that we can emulate and imitate in our lives to help us overcome pitfalls? Number two, Jesus had seen the beauty of heaven. What motivation it must have been to want to get back home. We sing, he left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was a lonely hill of Golgotha where he laid down his life for me. There's a holy and beautiful city whose builder and ruler is God. John saw it descending from heaven when Patmos in exile he trod. Its high massive wall is of jasper. The city itself is pure gold. And when my frail tent here is folded, mine eyes shall its glory behold in that bright city pearly white city i've got a mansion a robe and a crown now i am watching waiting and longing for that bright city john saw coming down we read of a place that's called heaven it's made for the pure and the free these truths in god's word he has given how beautiful heaven must be And and Jesus had been there, and he had seen the beauty of it. It was his eternal abode with God. And if we are going to overcome pitfalls and follow Jesus all the way to heaven, we've got to long for it. If you have a copy of God's Word, meet with me in Revelation, the 21st chapter. Revelation 21 and I want us to begin at verse number 16, and we're going to read down through about verse number 27. And the city lies four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel and the building of the wall of it was of jasper and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones the first foundation was jasper the second sapphire the third of chalcedony the fourth an emerald the fifth sardonyx the sixth a sardis the seventh chrysolite the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz the tenth a chrysophorus and the twelfth an amethyst and I saw no, uh, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of god did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day for there will be no night there and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh an abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you really want to go to heaven? If you really want to go to heaven... For heaven, you must yearn, and toward heaven, you must turn, and of heaven, you must learn if you really want to go there. Yearning to enter into that city will help us overcome pitfalls just as it did Jesus. I know we all in our mind can think of people that we've lost so dear to us. We know where they're spending eternity. And thinking of that beautiful place— The the place that Jesus had seen the beauty of heaven and knowing who was there. Friends, that'll help us overcome pitfalls. I am going to a city where the streets with gold are laid, where the tree of life is blooming and the roses never fade. Here they bloom before season and their beauty is decayed. But I am going to a city where the roses never fade. Number three tonight, what what, what did Jesus use to, to help him overcome temptation in his life? What is it that we can emulate and imitate in our lives to help us get uh, from our trip from here to glory? Number three tonight, Jesus had been in the presence of God. Think of that. Jesus had been in the very presence of God the Father. Jesus overcame pitfalls because he knew how wonderful it was to dwell in the presence of the Father. Imagine the comfort of dwelling in such a place of safety. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe, Proverbs 18 and 10. Uh, In in Psalm 46, 1, the Lord is my refuge and my strength. Psalm 91, 1 and 2, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress and my God in him will I trust. Imagine beholding the face of God. the the essence of everything that's good. Imagine being in the presence of the ultimate Father. Jesus had been there. Jesus wanted to go back and to be with the Father, to share with the glory that's there. I know we've all had good fathers, hopefully. And, And to think that All the goodness that our earthly fathers have, have possessed is because of God and to be able to dwell in that place of ultimate safety, ultimate comfort, ultimate love in the presence of God if we're going to overcome pitfalls, desire above all else one day to bask in the presence of Almighty God. After all, punishment is described simply as being put away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, number four tonight. What is it that Jesus used to overcome temptation? What is it that we can arm ourselves with and we can emulate and imitate as we daily go about facing the foe? Listen, friends, Jesus knew how terrible hell was. He created it. Jesus knew that as a man, he was subject to the same punishment as every other man. If not, it would not have been so glorious that he overcame Satan and sin, living the perfect life. In Revelation chapter 21 again, in verse 8, I want you to notice this text with me. In Revelation 21 and verse 8, this is hell's roll call. This is who is going to be there but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice these descriptions of hell, friends. In Revelation 21 to 8, it's a, a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. It is called the second death. In Revelation 20 and 15, whosoever not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. In Matthew 25 and 46, it's called everlasting punishment. In Mark 9 and 48, it's called a fire that shall never be quenched. In Matthew 13, 15, it's called a furnace of fire with wailing and gnashing of teeth. Friends, if you had firsthand knowledge of the horrors of hell, if you had firsthand knowledge of exactly how bad hell is, would you escape it at all costs? Jesus knew exactly how, her- how terrible hell is. He created it. and Will we take him at his word and escape it at all costs? There are those, even when the, within the Lord's church, that are going over to a philosophy uh, called annihilationalism. And it's... It's a it's a doctrine that says that after you die, you are burned up and it is just over. But that's not the eyewitness testimony that we have. See, we have first hand testimony about hell. Are we going to accept it? Friends, we better accept it. We better take it at all cost. Number five, what is it that we can arm ourselves with to help us overcome? our temptations, and our pitfalls. Number five, Jesus knew how bad sin is. Jesus, having created hell to punish sin, knew how bad sin was. And hell was made to punish those who transgress the law of God. So if we can understand how bad hell is, we can then get an idea of how bad sin is. Sin is bad. It's violating God's will, oftentimes with the knowledge of doing better. Sin is definitely choosing my desires over God's desires. That's James 1, 1 through uh, 1, 14 and 15. God doesn't tempt any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away. Watch it now by his own desires and enticed. And then sin is brought forth and, and sin full grown brings forth death. And and that is a person choosing what they desire and what they want above that which God has for their life. But sin is also choosing not to do what God desires. James 4, 17, to him therefore that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sin is a transgression of the law, 1 John chapter 3 in verse 4. But Jesus not only knew how bad sin is because he created hell, Jesus knew on a very personal level how bad sin is. Jesus paid the ransom price for your sin and for mine. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, the Bible says he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You're healed. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, know you not, you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that's given of God. You're not your own, but you're bought. You're purchased, and that at a very, very high price. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, the Bible says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We sing, My precious Savior suffered pain and agony. He bore it all that I might live. Our lives are made immeasurably better and immeasurably richer because one so lovely loved the lowly, such as I, when I think of how he came, so far from glory, came to dwell among the lowly, such as I, to suffer pain and such disgrace. On Mount Calvary, take my place. And I ask myself a question. Who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray not my will, thine for the answer I may never know? Why he ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he would go, for who am I? Nothing that we have ever done would warrant what Christ did on our behalf. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. May we hide these truths in our hearts and arm ourselves with them as we face pitfalls. Number six this evening, what did Jesus arm himself with? What did Jesus use in in, in his battles uh, that we can imitate and that we can emulate? Uh, How did he finish that great work and overcome pitfalls? Jesus knew the value of a soul. I think that's important. Jesus knew that there was nothing of greater value than the souls of mankind. I mean, our souls spring from the Father, Hebrews 12, 9. Uh, you know, we've had, we reverence our fathers of the flesh that we received correction from, but how much more should we reverence the Father of spirits and live? And, and, and so we spring from that holy and just God. And it was the souls of mankind that Jesus came to redeem. Psalm forty nine fifteen, where the psalmist said, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. It's the soul that's lost and charged with sin. And that loss is an eternal loss, but if gained. But if gained, that, that is an eternal gain. You know, Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 26 is an apt description of the value of the soul. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If any man would save his life, he'll lose it. If he'll lose his life for my name's sake, he'll find it. And what would a man profit if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? And what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Here it is, Jesus says that, the entire economy of the world does not match or equal the value of the soul of each individual personally. Your soul, Jesus said, is worth more than the economy of the whole world. You add up the diamond mines of East Africa. You add up all the, the old derricks out in Texas and the cattle and the corn of the Midwest you add up all of the economy of the seaport towns on both coasts on both sides of this continent on every continent of of this entire world and your soul is worth more than every bit of it but also the scene of calvary that's an apt description of the value of the soul in matthew chapter 27 as we see the the, the, the Christ, the God-man nailed to that tree, and we see all of the, the things that led up to that horrible event that has blessed our lives immeasurably, and we see just how much Jesus really did pay for our soul's salvation. And with the knowledge of just how valuable your soul is, let us face the pitfalls of life with resolve to overcome them just as Christ was resolved to redeem them. Next, finally, what did Jesus do to overcome temptation? He knew the value of the Scriptures. Uh, that's, that's where I want to leave us tonight, is, is Jesus knew the value of the Scriptures. And, and, and in, a, in a duel with the devil, he used a proper application of those Scriptures to overcome A proper application of the scriptures, though, is also to apply them to your own life. If you will, meet me in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want us to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him, that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brother and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Whether, uh, Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. If you do these things, you shall never fall. We're talking about overcoming pitfalls and the value of the scriptures. And how will you know how to add these Christian graces to your life, separate and apart, from the scriptures, the, the the text uses the word knowledge. You know the Christian faith is a very logical system of faith. Our God is a very logical God and 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 our faith is based on knowledge. And there's things that we must know, and there's things that we will never know, separate apart from the scriptures. We'll never be able to be spiritual people, separate apart from the word of God. Paul would write to the young evangelist and he would say that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for instruction, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly furnished, completely equipped unto every good work. See, Paul knew that, that Timothy was raised by spiritual people, and earlier on in 2 Timothy, he, he talked about the unfeigned faith that was in him that was first in his grandmother and then his mother. And, and, he, would, and he would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, of knowing whom thou hast learned them and that from a child. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, all scripture. The next two verses. And then, and then the context would continue in chapter 4 and verse 1, where Paul would charge that spiritual young man to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine you know the scriptures have immeasurable value in our life and in the life of every person but we've got to they're not they're not valuable unless we apply them and and drive them home and make them a working part of us wherefore put away the filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls and be a doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer he's likened to a man who beholds his natural face in a glass for he beholdeth himself and he goes his way and he's Straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, him being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man, James said, will be blessed in his deeds. If any of you think to be religious and bridle not your tongue, your religion is vain. But pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, to keep himself unspotted from the world. James 1 21 through 27. The word of God, invaluable in coming in overcoming pitfalls. The psalmist would say, uh, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee, O oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Through thy precepts, I gain understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The 119th Psalm, verses 9 through 11 and 104 and 105. By way of conclusion tonight, God has given us everything that we need to enjoy ultimate success in this life and in the one that is to come. If there was one final verse that I would want to deliver to you to prove that proposition, it would be this there's not any pitfall. There is not any temptation that has taken you, but such is common to man. But you notice this God is faithful. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation he'll make a way of escape for you that you may be able to bear it. First Corinthians ten and verse number thirteen. And if we will keep God and Christ in the forefront of our minds as we meet our day-to-day task, and we will focus on being pleasing to the Father, and if we will think about the beauty that is heaven and the being in the presence of God, and if we'll think about the tortures and the horrors of hell and the terrible nature of sin, if we will be constantly uh, reminded of the value of our souls and the value of the souls of all mankind and we will be keeping in mind the value of the scriptures and never ever forget matt wallen said this in a post a while back that not every temptation that you'll face are you meant to face head on some things you need to flee from joseph he fled uh, Paul would tell us that we need to flee fornication, 1 Corinthians 6, but but God wants, he's in the saving business, and he's in the business of contacting men's hearts, and, and it's really, it's all about Jesus, and it's about your heart, and God wants you to have an open heart to hear Jesus, John 6, and 45, and then he wants you to have an honest heart to believe in Jesus, John 8 and 24, and he wants you to have a logical heart to repent of your sins and to get out of the sinning business and then turn to Jesus, John 8 and 11. He wants you to have a courageous heart then to confess the Son of God, John 20 and 28. He wants you to then have a submissive heart and just simply give your life, give your body to be buried with him in baptism, John 3 and 5 and then have a faithful heart to live for Jesus. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. You've been a marvelous audience. Thank you so much. And I hope that there's been something said this very evening that will help you as you daily face the foe and work towards overcoming pitfalls in your life.